Acts chapter 10 this morning, if you would take your Bibles, I trust that you bring your Bibles to church. I'm going to do something a little different, try to get through an entire chapter in one week. Is that possible? We don't know. <clears throat> Thank you, Dan, for leading us in worship and Tom for ministering to our hearts. I don't know if Amanda's here. She may be back in the second service. What a delight to see young people. Amanda went to Guatemala last year and, and is preparing to go to Africa this year and has a real heart for full-time missions. Praise God for that. I don't know if you realize, but that's one of the indicators that the Holy Spirit is at work within a local body when young people are, are, are desiring to offer what they have to the Lord. I think of the number of young men that I have been meeting with and praying with, that they feel called to prepare for full-time ministry, pastoral ministry. And we praise God for that. I had somewhat of a unique experience just a week or two ago. I had a meeting with a 12-year-old boy. This is probably the youngest I've ever met with. Pastor, how do I know if God's calling me to be a pastor or not? I really feel that God's calling me to be a pastor 12 years old. That's just a delight to me. I said, stay in the word. It's going to be a little while yet. Spurgeon preached his first sermon when he was 15, I believe, and pastor's first church when he was 17. So I had him read all of Spurgeon's books. He's on his way to doing that. Why don't we pray as we look into God's word and ask for his help as we learn this morning. Father, I thank you so much <clears throat> for the privilege that you've given to us to meet this morning on a beautiful, beautiful day. A day, Lord, that you made for us. And as we begin our day in worship, lifting up our voices and our hands to you in praise, may we understand, Lord, why it is that you deserve to be praised and why you are the only one that deserves to be praised in light of your creative handiwork and the love that you have for us and the offering of your own son to die in our place. Lord, the offering of forgiveness and redemption, as Tom sang about justification. Father, we thank you that we, as unworthy as we are, are able to come into your presence and to be blessed by your greatness and showered by your grace. Father, I would ask that you would minister to every person that is here, my, myself included, my own heart included, that we would all get a glimpse of what you have for us, that you would straighten the line that you have called for us to walk this week, that we would know very clearly what we are supposed to do and how we are supposed to do it, trusting you and you alone to do everything and say everything in your strength. Father, minister especially to those that are in need of comfort, that are aching this morning. Draw close to them. Thank you for your love for us. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> we live in a world that we are constantly, constantly, we are constantly asked to like this. And you click this little button, like or dislike. You listen to a song, I like this. Listen to a message, I like this. Read a quote, I like this. Look at a picture, I like this. Someone has a status on a Facebook and you automatically respond, I like this. Or what? I do not like this. I want to talk this morning about that very subject because it, we are confronted with it in God's Word. Those things that we like, 
Which brings us to those things that we do not like. Those things that we have personal preference for or those things that we have personal preference against. Favorites. Every one of us have favorites. I will take Coke over Pepsi any day. I will take iced tea over soda any day. I will take Phillies over Pirates. I will take Apple Pie over Cherry Pie. Every single one of us, we could come up with a long list of those things that we like. A favorite color, a favorite restaurant. It's okay to have favorites. We even have something in our society referred to as a favorite friend or a best friend. These are all my friends, but this one over here is my best friend. It's okay to have favorites. However, I want to warn you, because of our fallen nature, because of our own hearts and our sin-bent tendency, when it comes to our favorites, we oftentimes create problems in our lives. Because we can pick literally some people over other people. Remember the story Mark Twain wrote on Tom Sawyer, the adventures of Tom Sawyer, and the little fight that he and his his friend Huckleberry Finn got in? Let me read to you a little bit of Tom Sawyer this morning. Now, Tom, this is... um, this is an exchange between Tom and his friend Huck Finn. Tom has just informed Huckleberry Finn that he is not welcome in Tom's gang anymore. And Huck protests. He doesn't like this. Listen to this. Now, now, Tom, ain't you always been friendly to me? You wouldn't shut me out, would you, Tom? Tom replies, Huck, I wouldn't want to. I don't want to. But what would people say? Well, they'd say, hmm, Tom Sawyer's gang, pretty low characters in it. They'd mean you, Huck. You wouldn't like that. And I wouldn't like that. There's this idea that, you know what, people can really be cruel to one another. Kids can be cruel. And I think as well that adults, even adults, as smart and as sophisticated as you, as an Can we hear that a little bit? Where are we on Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn? As adults, we very, very easily exclude other people. Why? Well, because there's something about that one person that, that I don't like. They're not as favorable to me as other people. They look wrong. They talk wrong. They act wrong. I've even heard that they smell wrong. There's something about them that we don't like. And that problem doesn't only exist out there, but it exists, what, within the confines, within the context of the local church. Where we are called to minister to everyone, and yet oftentimes we minister only to those people that we like 
to minister to. Serious problem with that. Um, churches, you've heard about uh, this phrase before that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated or separated hour of the entire week. Because people worship in different sects and different groups out there. And we have a hard time coming together. Churches, churches suffer from racism and sexism and fanaticism and even bigotry and injustice. And you say, wait a minute, but that's not... We're capable because of the deceitfulness of our own, our, our own hearts that we like some things and don't like other things. Okay, we are capable of that. We want this morning to look at this text, and somewhat of a long text, we're going to take excerpts from it, and we're going to learn this. God does not have favorites. God doesn't love some people more than he loves other people. Let's take a quick review, very, very quickly, as far as where we have gone. We have seen this book of Acts, that there have been three key ingredients all the way through. There are the people of God, there is the Word of God, and there is the Spirit of God. They are the three key ingredients or components that really makes the church move. The people of God, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. With this church, okay, there's no fancy buildings. They don't have programs and worship leaders and instruments, okay, and sound systems. They have these three key components. And because of that, everything was gaining momentum and the gospel of Jesus Christ was being shared. Messages were preached, miracles were performed, and the Holy Spirit was moving in a huge way. It started out in Jerusalem. Remember this instruction from Matthew chapter 28? Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Go into all the world. Acts 1.8, and Nick referred last week to that. What is this big idea to the book of Acts? You shall receive power, and you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. Everything was going well. Everyone was cool with that instruction. With this early church, with, with, with Jerusalem hearing the gospel, with Judea hearing the gospel, everything was going fine right up until they got to this circle called Samaria. Samaria was what? A place that, that, that was filled with Gentiles. Jews oftentimes refer to Gentiles literally as dogs. Now think of it. You can't go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. You can't go into all the world unless you go through Samaria. That is exactly what happened. As soon as they begin to expand the gospel, they get into Samaria. They begin to look back at Jerusalem. They say, wait a minute. We don't like it out here. We don't like these people. In in a sense, as they are crossing into Samaria, the gospel is going out. They look back and they realize they've just crossed the tracks. You know the people that live on the other side of the tracks that we perhaps don't want to spend time with? That's exactly what has happened. So we pick up the story and we say, okay, what is it that we are going to do now in light of the fact that what? God is not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. God has no favorites. The gospel has got to go out. What happens here? Let's pick it up in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. We'll read in excerpts, but I'll, I'll, I'll do the best that I can. Here we go. <clears throat> At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, 
a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once into heaven. We'll continue to read later on down through the text. But our story begins with what? Our story begins in a beautiful harbor city of Caesarea. Caesarea is located on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem. Uh, Caesarea named in honor of Caesar Augustus. It is a showcase city that is full of Romans and Greeks and other cultures. Jewish people were in a minority in this very, what we would call today an affluent cosmopolitan city. Uh, today's equivalent would be what? Cobblestone streets and little cafes and places that you could sip on lattes and look at luncheon menus. It's that type of a little quaint city. It is in this place that God has chosen to tell his story that speaks about what? The glory of the gospel going to all people. And I want to summarize by looking at four primary points this morning. The first one is this man, Cornelius. Cornelius sees a vision. Well, who's Cornelius? Cornelius is a Roman centurion, a non-commissioned officer who has a hundred men at his disposal. He is in charge of 100 Roman soldiers. He is a Gentile. He is described, it's interesting to look at these three parts that describe him, is a devout man who feared God, which means what? He's, he's a seeker. He wants to know this God that the Jews have been speaking about. He's heard of this one Peter who's preaching. He gave generously. He understood the needs for the poor. He wants to help out. He's the good guy in his community. And he's praying constantly. He lifts up his voice to God. We would say by all apparent purposes that Cornelius is like many, many men 
that we know in our surrounding community. He is a good man. This is the type of guy who's organizing the neighborhood watch, okay? He is coaching T-ball. He's the one who's gathering parents together to sign a petition about the drug problem that exists within his community. He is a good man. He's doing good things, but it's clear he does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of his own personal life. It's wonderful to see that there is a seeker here. And what happens when someone seeks God? Finds him. Finds him. Wonderful to understand the balance of what God responding to a seeking heart, human responsibility and divine election. Jeremiah says what you will seek me and find me when you seek for me, search for me with all of your hearts. He is searching for something. It says what? The ninth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon. A heavenly messenger is sent to Cornelius and he tells him, you've got to find this man, Peter, in Joppa. As I said, last week, Nick left Peter in Joppa. Remember, after he what? He healed a person, raised Dorcas from the dead. We know that Peter is in Joppa, staying with his Simon the Tanner. Cornelius immediately obeys and he dispatches two servants and one soldier to go get Peter. What do we make of this? This guy is, is, is willing to even put personal expense to the fact that I'm looking for something. I've heard about this one. I need to find him. I need to meet him. A lot of thinking today that God is, is playing hide and seek with us. That he's maybe behind the next corner or around the next tree that we're looking and we're looking and I just wish that God would do. No, if we are seeking God, any one of us, we will find him. Cornelius sees a vision. Secondly, what is happening here? Peter has a dream. We see from verses 9 all the way down through verse 23. We have a change of scenes. We move further down the coast back in Joppa, and it's here that Peter is on the rooftop, and he's praying, and it's at noon. Apparently, he is quite hungry, and while he is waiting for lunch, he falls asleep. Typical guy, he starts dreaming about, basically, food. But the guy, it's a lot about the stomach, has this kind of, what you'd say, a weird dream. You can't say, well, it's because of something he ate. Okay, that's usually what we would say. Well, I had a weird dream. Well, what would you eat? <clears throat> it's not because of that. In this, what you'd kind of say, a weird dream, it's like a giant sheet. It's like a screen that comes down before him. And on this are both clean and unclean animals. These are foods that a Jewish person could eat. Well, what is it that a Jewish person could eat? Beef, something that they could eat. Lamb, fish, chicken. But yet on this screen, not only were there those, those types of food, there were other foods that a Jewish person could not eat. Well, what is that? I think of pigs. They're considered unclean. Ham, pork, bacon, 
shellfish. Think about this. Shrimp, clams, crabs, scallops, lobster. Or to put it another way, there is, there is kosher and non-kosher foods. Now, if you recall, God has laid out very specific back in the Old Testament dietary laws for the Jews to keep them safe and to keep them separate from others. Now, it is, it is this time of being fed from what? Not, not living under the law, but fed a message of grace. Fed a message that through the Lord Jesus Christ, His ultimate once and for all sacrifice, they are free from what? Living under this restrictive diet. Now, you and I, in our culture today, we have a really difficult time thinking about foods that we can eat or foods that we can't eat. Normally we'd say, well, I can't eat this because it, like, it, makes, it doesn't agree with me. America, we eat everything. Okay, there's no, there's no religious laws prohibiting us from what we can or cannot eat. So it's hard for us to imagine this, but this is a particular culture. In verse, in verse 13 through 16, it recounts this dialogue between God and this very Jewish Orthodox man who is what? Who has been used amazingly by the power of God, and that is Peter. God says what? Rise, Peter, kill and eat. All of the images that you're seeing in this dream, kosher and non-kosher, clean and unclean, Peter, just kill it, just eat it. Now, there's this, there's this response. It almost sounds argumentative from Peter where he says, well, I have never eaten this unclean stuff. And then we are told this all-important statement. As a matter of fact, it even indicates that it's, it's been repeated three times. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. What God has cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. What God has cleaned, you must not call unclean. As I was reading this, almost, almost trying to envision it through Peter's eyes, scratch his head perplexed, he's hungry, all of this is available to him. What I thought about what God does when it, when it comes to, to this area of food, God does well. The image that came to mind, this is probably not the most spiritual image, I'm sure. Remember, remember Bubba from Forrest Gump, the big black guy from down south? Okay. Remember the scene when he's shining his boots and he's talking to Forrest Gump about the shrimp? And I remember that quote. I love that. And so I went, I actually found this. Here's, here's Bubba. He's sitting, big black guy, kind of slow. He, he's sitting and he talks about what? He says this. He says, shrimp is the fruit of the sea. He says, you can barbecue it and boil it. He says, you can broil it and bake it and saute it. He says, there's um, shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried shrimp, deep fried, stir fried. There's pineapple shrimp and lemon shrimp and coconut shrimp and pepper shrimp and shrimp soup and shrimp stew and shrimp salad, shrimp and potatoes and shrimp burger and shrimp sandwich. That's about it. It's Bubba. Direct quote. What God does, God does well. You say, well, what does that have to do? Even Peter, who at times we could say is a little bit of a slow Learner, it is being made incredibly clear. It is very obvious to, to him. 
that the diet part is more than what is being addressed here. It's not just about the food. There's a great delight to the fact that we have grace and freedom in all things. Peter's really getting the first time where that light kind of shines bright in his eyes. And he's understanding that God is actually initiating an entire new phase in all of ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, what? What what Peter's vision becomes means that God is actually removing a barrier that used to exist. Remember the train tracks that were crossed from Jerusalem, Judea, the tracks, and then Samaria, the uttermost part? God is opening up a way. He is making a means for the Jews to be no different than the Gentiles. The Gentiles to be no different than the Jews. William MacDonald writes in his commentary, a great summary. As a Jew, Peter has always looked upon the Gentiles as unclean, as aliens, as strangers, as far off, as godless. But now God was going to do a new thing. Gentiles, represented by the unclean beasts and birds, were going to receive the Holy Spirit the same as the Jews. Clean beasts and birds had already received him. National and religious distinctions were to be dissolved and all true believers in the Lord Jesus would be on the same level in the Christian fellowship. For the first time since what? Since the birth of the church, since the arrival of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, for the first time gone are all of the differences. Gone are the various social statuses. Gone are the skin colors. Gone are rich and poor, bond and free, Jew and Gentile. And we see here from this moment, it's a whole lot bigger than, than, than sauteed shrimp. It talks about the fact what, that what God does, God does well. All people are accepted and adored. All people are precious and prized. While pondering this vision that Peter has, there's a knock on the door. We see this in verse 17 down through verse 23. We don't have the time to read it all, but we know that Cornelius has dispatched these people. Two servants and a soldier. They arrive. Peter identifies himself. He gives them lodging for the evening. And there's the sense of hospitality that exists. And it's like a wall. Was it 1989? I just, I think I just got married and, and we were watching the Berlin Wall when it was coming down and people were standing on it and they were smashing it with, with, with just little chips and then eventually they got bulldozers and they knocked it down and people flooded from, from east to west Germany. That's, that's exactly what's happening. There's, there's no longer a wall that has existed. There's no longer us and them. It's such a desperate message for people who sit in church today. The fact that we actually think, we actually think because we sit here, we're better than those who are out there. That is so, so wrong. Racism, 
exists within the church of Jesus Christ today. I love this quote that I put in your, your insert from John Piper. Racial harmony has roots in the gospel and the sovereignty of God. That is why it matters. Where it doesn't flourish, the cross of Jesus Christ is dishonored and the sovereignty of God is obscured. Which means what? When we preach the truth of the entire gospel, color doesn't matter. Social status doesn't matter. What we like or what we do not like, it simply does not matter. Look at this story as we continue on. Peter preaches the truth of the gospel. Down in verse 25. When Peter entered, remember, they brought them back to Caesarea, to Cornelius. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. As he talked with him, he went in and he found many persons gathered and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Later on down in verse 34, what happened? So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. We see that Peter makes this journey, 30 miles, up to Caesarea. Cornelius has invited family members and invited all friends. This man is coming. Simon Simon Peter is coming. He is coming here. Interesting to note that when Peter comes in, Cornelius, okay, Roman soldier, immediately falls down before him to worship Peter. Peter says, no, 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 stand up. I am just like you. In verse 34, they convey the truth of of both of their dreams. And here's this big idea that Peter simply says out of verse 34. This is is kind of what I call the, the, the bright light bulb of the entire text. Four words, God shows no partiality. God does not love some people more than he loves other people. And he recounts what has happened and he begins to preach the good news of peace through Jesus Christ in verse 36, that he is Lord of all. While he's preaching, what happens? An entire revival breaks out. Cornelius has invited friends and family. And and as Peter is preaching, it serves as this model for you and I of how we are to communicate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What doesn't matter about what your background is, what matters is the fact that if there is no remission of sins, which is the primary message of the gospel, if you don't recognize the fact that you're a sinner, confess that you are a sinner, then what? Then, then no one is good enough. No one is nice enough or talented enough or beautiful enough or smart enough. No one. Unless those who confess and admit their own sinfulness. Peter preaches the truth of the gospel and it ignites. 
Fourthly and finally, we see what the Holy Spirit does in amazing work. Down through verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. This is something that's bigger than you and I. Something that God does and God does well. The Holy Spirit does an amazing work. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. An indication of the Spirit's work over a man's work. Peter, no longer bound by these Jewish prejudices. What does he do? He actually proposes baptism. And it says that, that, that everyone received the Holy Spirit. Why this story? Quickly in closing, what is the purpose of this? What is the main point? Here it is. When we always take something, we put it in our pocket to go home with us. God is making it clear when it comes to the message of salvation. There are to be no favorites. It's not a distinction between Jew and Gentile. There's no favorites to whom we should tell the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ too. In verse 35 it says, In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right. Another translation, works righteousness is acceptable to him. Does that mean they're automatically saved? No. They're doing right. They're pursuing him. It means what? That they show a desire for salvation. And in verse 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Primary component, key ingredient for salvation, regardless of what your birth certificate says, regardless of what your, 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 your tax status is, regardless of your educational level. What, what does it say? Whoever believes in him in verse 30, 43, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's the message that we have to take. What we need to do, what I believe we need to do as a church, what we need to be as a church, is is stop sharing the gospel with only those that you like to be around. It's easy to love people that you love. It's easy to like people that you like. What, what, what Peter tells us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit today, the expanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how this, he goes to people that he would not choose in and of himself to go to. And so there's already, there's already a list of people that you already are beginning to say, you know, I just don't like this guy. This guy is really annoying. And this guy is just really loud. This one's really obnoxious. This one just is really, and there's this list. Rather than what thinking about, well, I'm going to go because we really can't. I want you to find those people that are not your favorites. If there was a little box, you'd click, do you, do you like this or do you not like this or dislike, whatever the term is. That's where you start. That's where you start. Well, that's really hard to do. Well, it was really hard for Peter. But we see the response when we know that God is in charge. That's how we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone. Why? Because God has no favorites. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for a reminder from Scripture as, as to how we are to do this. Father, we have to put ourselves aside 
And I would ask, Lord, that we would hear the message that you desire to be communicated by the fact that every single person is a sinner. Every single person is in need of a Savior. And that we have to put our own desires or, or likes behind us administer the gospel to everyone. Father, may, may you give us boldness to do that and may you bless your work. And may we know that it's from you and not from us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.